This episode is brought to you by Accenture. A better you starts with better hydration. Accenture is on a mission to inspire people to do what matters most. Their proprietary ionization process transforms water from any source into ionized alkaline water, providing water that's 99.9% pure with a pH of 9.5 or higher. Essentia Overachieving H2O, the number one ionized alkaline water. Shop now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. It's hard not to add a side of hot, crispy hash browns to your favorite McDonald's breakfast. It's even harder not to eat said hash browns before you get home. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello and welcome to Star Diary, the podcast from the makers of BBC Sky at Night magazine. You can subscribe to the print edition of the magazine by visiting skyatnightmagazine.com or to our digital edition by visiting iTunes or Google Play. Greetings listeners and welcome to Star Diary, a weekly guide to the best things to see in the Northern Hemisphere's night sky. In this episode, we'll be covering the coming week from the 26th of September to the 2nd of October. I'm Ezzie Pearson, the magazine's features editor, and I'm joined on the podcast today by reviews editor Paul Manny. Hello, Paul. Hello there, Ezzie. Another good week. It does look like it might be. So, Paul, can you tell us what your recommendations for this next week are and why it might look particularly good? Well, we start off with a biggie. Mm. Probably the biggest one, I think, of the of the year, really, sort of thing. But uh, it's the opposition on the 26th of September of Jupiter, the biggest planet in the solar system. And from now on, it sort of like rises earlier and earlier in the evening. So this is the day, the 26th of September, opposition day. You know, we always look forward to this because otherwise it's in the morning sky. And you know how inconvenient that is. Mm -hmm. It's nice when it starts to get back into the evening sky. So from now on, it will do. It'll start to rise earlier and earlier and it'll become viewable all night. So we'll get a really good view of it and uh, it'll get higher in the sky as well for us as well. So, you know, everything's looking, everything's looking up for a Jupiter now. <laughs> I say it is the the best day to really look forward to sort of thing because you know everything should start improving after that. And of course there's lots to see on Jupiter as well, you know, with each passing day and week sort of thing, because you've got a quite a fast rotation just under ten hours for the rotation of planets. Mm. So you can actually see it literally as you're observing over the course of even ten minutes, you start to think, hang on, there's, there's something slightly shifted. And as you observe longer you realise features are drifting across the surface and you can see the rotation. And, of course, images like Pete Lawrence often do animations 
of the actual rotation by taking sequences all through the night and then stitching it together to create a complete emanation of the actual planet rotating, which I always think is amazing. I haven't achieved a full rotation yet. I've done a couple of hours. (laughs) So I've done a little bit, but Mm -hmm. uh, not all. So, yes, by 10 p.m., you know, it's high up in the southeast. So it it really is getting well-placed to view now. And if anybody is interested in actually making an animation of Jupiter, we actually covered that in the September 2022 issue of Sky at Night magazine. And you can see our guide online on www.skyatnightmagazine.com. So that if that is something that you've always wanted to do, um, go on there and we'll tell you how to go about doing it. And it's quite satisfying when you can actually create your own. Mm. You know, it's quite an amazing experience to see the real rotation of Jupiter itself. Yeah. And of course, there's lots of features. You know, you've got the North Polar Hood, you've got the equatorial, North and South equatorial belts, although the South one can fade over time sort of thing. So, you know, sometimes it can look quite weird. Then you've got the equatorial zone, you've got the great red spot, although, come on, let's face it, he's more of a pale salmon (laughs) (laughs) colour, not not a, a bright red spot. And of course, he's been getting smaller over the years. Is. So mm-hmm. that's something to keep a lookout for. Although whether it'll disappear, we, we just don't know. As late great Patrick would say, quite frankly, we don't really know. <laughs> it's as simple as that. It's been around for at least 100 years. Um, some say it might have even been around for more like 400 years. But it is. it does look like it is starting to, to, to leave Jupiter's um, disk. So we'll just have to see over time whether or not it does disappear entirely. It'd be a shame, wouldn't it, because mm. it's been such a feature uh, over centuries for observing it. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but it's not just those, of course. There are multiple other belts as well and festoons and sort of plumes coming down from the North Equatorial Belt. So there is actually a lot to see on the planet. Mm-hmm. But there's not just the planet. There's the four Galilean moons as well. And they're fascinating to watch them as they swing around. Of course, the inner two moons, Io and Europa, really do get round Jupiter quite quickly. Whereas sort of with uh, Ganymede and Callisto, they take a longer time sort of thing to move and then gradually move across the disc and around the other side so you know there's a lot to see actually on the planet and actually at its moons as well sort of thing so uh, you know well worth having a look at so that's jupiter then you know a, a big planet the big draw really for this week but from now on really for the next few months in fact rest of the year uh, to see it in the evening sky and if uh, people did want to, to to observe jupiter and like see its moons or something like that do you do you need to have a big telescope or can you see it with binoculars um what sort of level of things do you need? Well, if you can see the moons of Jupiter actually with a pair of binoculars. Um, so there's little tiny dots either side sort of thing, quite close. Mm. So Io is usually the, the one that is most hidden because of the glare of the planet itself. But, uh, you know, I mean, a medium-sized telescope, it, well, I, I suppose even a five-inch reflector or a five-inch refractor especially is particularly good. But, uh, you know, the, your medium-sized telescopes do bring out the main belts And, of course, the larger the aperture, the more you see the finer detail within the extra belts and the festoons and, say, the plumes, etc. So uh, there's a lot to see, no matter what instrument you've actually got. So you could always start off with the tiny disc, but the moons, you know, are going around Jupiter, and then progress with the telescopes and see finer and finer detail, uh, depending on the aperture you've got. Right. Well, the next evening, then, I mean, we're going from (laughs) one extreme to the other because we've gone from giant Jupiter, the biggest planet in the solar system, to the first asteroid, now a dwarf planet, Ceres. Now, it is faint. It's not particularly bright. It's magnitude 8.8. What I find interesting, I like it when it sort of passes between two particular stars. And here we've got sort of like Eta and uh, Gamma Leonis. So it's in the morning sky, so we're no longer in the evening, I'm afraid. We are looking at 5am, so set your alarm clocks or stay up. (laughs) 
<laughs> whichever's the best for you, sort of thing. But uh, a small telescope will see it as a dot. Technically, large binoculars at 8.8 .8 magnitude, large binoculars will see it as well. But when you're looking with binoculars, it literally just, it is starlight. That's what asteroid, the original name meant, starlight. So, of course, it's just a dot. So it'd be very easy to get confused with all the dots there, all the other stars. So you look for the one, if you can get several nights on the trot, you actually get the dot, the one dot that moves. Mm -hmm. So that's the key. You look for the one that's actually moving. But uh, obviously, you know, star charts are very, very accurate nowadays and could go down quite faint. So you usually can identify which extra dot is amongst the stars. It's when you get really faint asteroids and really faint stars, that's when the real fun begins as such. So, yes, going between Eta and Gamma Leonis in the morning sky, but I always like it when it's somewhere that you can easily identify instead of an obscure area of space with no other bright stars around it. When you've got this line-up sort of thing of the two stars and then you know there's an asteroid actually between them, you, at least you can home into the right area, can't you? Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Makes it a lot easier. I wish a lot of other things in astronomy were as easy as that. <laughs> and talk... Talking of easy, though, you know, we go a few days later onto the 30th. Now, it has to be said sort of thing, around about the sort of like 26 or such, the beginning of this week, the moon is very low in the evening sky. And it's because the ecliptic is low this time of year, because it passes through Libra, Scorpius, Sagittarius. So this is the low point of the actual ecliptic. So when the moons and the planets are actually moving along that part of the ecliptic, they are quite low. This is why we've had such fun with Jupiter and Saturn over the last few years, because they've been passing through the lowest part of the ecliptic. Which is why Jupiter's getting better now, because it's higher. It's moved up the ecliptic now, so it's well-placed. Saturn's still sort of lingering, it's in Capricornus, but it is steadily improving, but it is slow-moving. But the moon, of course, takes a lot quicker. It whips round us. That's where we get month from, the moonth as such. So the moon will actually be quite close to Antares on the 30th. So, you know, that's a good time because you've got a, a star next to the moon. Of course, whether you'll get people saying, what was that star or was that a planet next to the moon? We always get those sort of queries coming in. But yes, it's a it's a quite a thick crescent seen at that particular time. And it will be hugging the horizon in the southwest. So for the first few days before that, the moon is really low and sets very quickly. And that's the problem with the ecliptic. So you don't get much of a chance to see it. But by now, about the 30th, around about half past seven, it'll be high enough up and the sky will still be twilight. But you should be able to see it over in the southwest. Obviously, the moon will be obvious, and then you'll just hopefully see this <laughs> dot of a star just to the lower left. And you think, ah, and we heard what that was on the Star Diary. It's Antares. And, of course, that's mm -hmm. the heart of the scorpion. Uh, so Antares, Alpha Scorpius. So there we are. So about 7.30 p.m. to actually look for that. Now, I mentioned the ecliptic. And we've actually still got, as we get later into the night, the uh, area of the ecliptic that's higher is higher in the sky for us as well. So by the time we get to, say, 10 o'clock uh, on the end of this week, sort of the 2nd of October, what you find is the ecliptic is quite high at 10 o'clock. And we still got the parade of the planets. We still got a whole host of planets out there. So we start off with sort of Saturn in the south. And then if you want to include minor planet Vesta's there as well, then we actually have the really minor planet Juno. That is quite faint, so I'm not really sure whether we want to observe that one. But we've got Neptune and then Jupiter. Neptune and Jupiter are fairly close to each other as well. So, you know, you can see quite a difference. You'll need binoculars and a small telescope for Neptune, but you'll need 
only naked eye for Jupiter sort of thing. So uh, there we go. And then further over, we've got Uranus, which technically is naked eye, but it really does depend on your sky conditions, how dark your sky is, sort of thing, how good your eyes are. There's a lot of factors to take into account. And then of all things, we've got Mars as well above the horizon. This is at 10 o'clock in the evening. So you can see how, you know, we're getting excited. We've got a lot more planets becoming more readily available to observe. Mm. So, you know, whilst you're looking at Jupiter opposition, don't forget there are the other planets and they are getting much easier to see during the course of the, the evening and night as well. So uh, quite an interesting re- re- week, really. Yeah, it definitely has been a good time for the planets um, of late. <laughs> um, they seem to have all been, you know, lining up nice and neatly across the night sky and making themselves known a bit more uh, more sociable hours. <laughs> that's that's what I like, sociable hours sort of thing. That's social astronomy. That's what we coin it, social astronomy. Just there. in time for us, the, the nights are getting longer as well and, and we're getting properly back into the winter skies as well, which is very considerate of them. Exactly. It certainly sounds like there's a lot of great things to see in the night sky this week. Uh, we've got the opposition of Jupiter on the 26th of September, which is always a great chance to you know look at these planets was when they're um, closest to the earth and then also a good month for tracking down Antares in Scorpius if you've ever wanted to know where that is um, because on the 30th it'll be really close to the crescent moon um, which is also just a nice thing to always see when you see a bright star next to the crescent moon so thank you very much Paul for taking the time out of your day to tell us about all of those things it's a pleasure And if any of our listeners would like to keep up to date with the best things to see in the night sky every week, please be sure to subscribe to the Star Diary podcast and we hope to see you guys here next week. If you want to find out even more spectacular sights that will be gracing the night sky throughout the month, be sure to pick up a copy of BBC Sky at Night magazine, where we have a 16-page pull-out sky guide with a full overview of everything worth looking up for. Whether you like to look at the moon, the planets or the deep sky, whether you use binoculars, telescopes or neither, our Sky Guide has got you covered with the detailed star charts to help you track your way across the night sky. From all of us here at BBC Sky at Night magazine, goodbye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Star Diary podcast from the makers of BBC Sky at Night magazine. For more of our podcasts, visit our website at skyatnightmagazine.com or head to Acast, iTunes or Spotify. 